Welcome to the podcast of Grace Community Bible Church. We hope and pray that you are blessed, challenged, and inspired by this message. For other sermons or more information, visit us at gracebiblechurch.org.au. You know, when we live life in this world, in this sin-cursed world, and we're living as Christians, the biggest problem that comes before us, or at least one of the big problems that come before us, is how are we going to persevere with all the, the uncertainties in life, and the difficulties of life, and the trials of life? How are we going to persevere? Well, the author of Hebrews says the way we persevere, the way we endure, is by faith. That has been the way right from the beginning, and that's the whole point of Hebrews chapter 11, because he wants to show, look at these saints of old. They persevere not because they were superhuman beings, this whole, the whole bunch of examples that are given here is not that we would be ashamed to see ourselves in light of them, but it's to show fallible men and women and to say that they were fallible people, but they persevered simply because they had faith in God and his word. And he wants to show the different ways in which Faith has operated in the lives of these Old Testament saints. Now last week we looked at what is faith and we looked at the first few examples that the author here mentions about. But I want to quickly recap because I think it is so essential for us to understand what faith really is. And we looked at the fact that You know, last week I said faith is entrusting yourself to God and his word. In a very simple sense, that's what faith means. In fact, if you you look at the book of 1 Timothy, if I'm not mistaken, in chapter 1, when Paul says, I have been entrusted with the gospel, that word for entrusted is that same word, pistis, the same word that's translated as faith. So in a very basic sense, that's what faith is. It's entrusting yourself to God and his word. Now let me go back to the example that I told you about that you know, one of my professors used uh, when I was in seminary because it's such a helpful uh, example to think of when we think of faith. But let me just modify it a little bit. Now let's say you are in a building that's caught in fire. And and the fact is that you're not only trapped in this building that's caught on fire, but you're actually dead. Now this fireman comes in, all through the fire, finds you, and he gives you life first and foremost. You can bring yourself to life. And then you see, oh wow, this fireman here is really strong and mighty and he's really here to save me. And so you respond by clinging on to him and he brings you out of this 
building that has caught on fire. Now let's say somebody comes up to you, as I mentioned last week, and says, so how are you saved from this house that caught on fire? And if you mentioned, well, that's because of the, the strength in which I entrusted myself to this fireman. People will think, you know, what is wrong with you? I, I, are you a, a bit loopy in your head? No, you did nothing. The fireman did it all. He's the one who saved you. All you did was entrust yourself to him and he did it all. And so in a similar sense, that's what faith is, where God, when we become born again, when God by his spirit gives us life, we recognize, oh, we were dead and he has brought life to us. And now it's all about him. He's the mighty one. He's the powerful one. And it's all by his grace. And now I'm going to entrust myself to him. That is what faith is. And so it doesn't matter whether you have that much of faith or that much of faith. It's not so much the degree of faith, but it's in whom you are entrusting yourself to and what you're entrusting yourself to that matters according to the Bible. Now the question comes, okay, so if faith is not a human work, that something that I have to muster up and have to have that much of, it is simply entrusting myself to God and his word, recognizing what I've recognized when I became born again, that it's all about him, that he's the mighty one. It's all of his grace. So I'm entrusting myself to him. So does that mean I just coast on in life? I mean, there's the popular cliche, the let go and then just let God. I mean, that was popularized, you know, it's, typically known as the Keswick theology. No, that's not what the Bible talks about either. See, while faith is not a work, it's simply responding to the fact that God has saved us and we recognize him for who he is and we're magnifying his grace and clinging on to him. When we do that, it affects the way we live our life. And that's what we read this morning from James 2. If you truly entrust yourself, if you truly are clinging on to God and his word, it will manifest itself in the way you live your life. It isn't simply, oh, I trust God and then I just live whatever way I want. That's what James says. Well, even the demons do that. They believe that there is God. But what they do not do is entrust themselves to him and his word and submit to that and live their lives accordingly. So faith is not a work, it's, it's, it is a gift of God as part of salvation, but then it is, we entrust ourselves to God. And when we entrust ourselves to God, it affects the way we live our life. And that's what we see even in these examples that are given in Hebrews chapter 11. That these people didn't just simply say, okay, I trust God, but I'm just going to live any which way I want. It really affected how they lived in this world. And so the author begins by not so much a definition, but really 
you know, when you have faith, when you exercise faith, when you're entrusting yourself to God and His, and His work, what happens? And that's what he describes in the first verse. And we saw this again last week, where we saw that faith is the substance of things hoped for. That when we entrust ourselves to God, the things hoped for become so substantive in our lives, so real in our lives. And one of the ways in which it becomes substantive and real, the things that uh, we hope for, that God has promised, is that sometimes we even experience something of what we hope for, something of that fellowship with God, something of the goodness of what God has promised in future, we experience now, such that then these things that are hoped for become so substantive, so real in our present life, and it affects the way we, we live our lives. I guess in a word I could say, it's in a sense, tasting something of what is hoped for. That's what faith helps us to do. And it impacts the way we live our lives. And it's not just tasting something of what we've hoped for, such that it affects our lives, but it's also a seeing the things unseen. We saw last week, what are the things unseen? These are things that God... uh, these are the works of God that he has done in the past as well as the works of God that he will do in the future or the promises of God that he said that he will do in future. So when, when we get a taste of what we are hoping for, we, by faith, we even begin to see that these things are real. Oh, I know it so much. I can see it with my spiritual eyes that This is what is in store. This is what God will do. And then we saw how then it pans out then in the lives of different people. We saw first in Abel, what did this faith look like? Faith looked like where he gave first preference to God, no matter what. He entrusted himself completely to God. And that's how he brought that sacrifice that was acceptable to God. In the life of Enoch, how did faith look like? It looked like walking with God day by day, that it's fellowshipping with God, that's an aspect of faith. Then in the life of Noah, what did that look like? It looked like trusting God at his word, even though there were things that he had not seen as yet. For example, the flood. He had never seen a flood before, and quite likely there wouldn't have been rain before that time either. That's what scholars seem to think. Yet he trusted God at his word, and it was by faith. So this morning, we are going to come to the next section, a few more examples, and particularly now, as he goes through, I would say, the book of Genesis, he's going to focus on Abraham and his family. And again, we are going to see how in Abraham and his family, this faith operated, how this faith functioned. Just by way of outline, if you want it right at the start, here's what the outline's like. First of all, in verse 8, we'll see that faith looks beyond present circumstances. Verse 8, faith looks beyond present circumstances. 
verse 9 and 10, we'll see that faith looks to the promised future realities. So first it looks beyond present circumstances, then it looks to promised future realities. Then in verses 11 and 12, we'll see that it looks beyond what is humanly possible. And lastly, we will see that faith looks to God and his word and therefore perseveres till death. That's in verses 13 through to 16. So again, looking at how faith is functioning, this entrusting oneself to God and his word, what that looks like in different situations. So first of all, in verse 8, faith looks beyond present uncertainties. Verse 8 says, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Abraham, the one who's called the father of the faith, the one from whom the nation of Israel came from, the the one from whom all believers are called as uh, spiritual children of Abraham because of their faith in Christ, and they have the same faith as Abraham had. This Abraham, when when we think back to Genesis and other parts of Scripture, We know that Abraham was a pagan worshipper. He was living with his father and the rest of his family in the land of Ur of the Chaldeans, in the land of Babylon, essentially. So Abraham lived as a pagan idol worshipper in Babylon. And when you think about it, he, he wasn't anyone special. I mean, he was just like anybody else in the world. He wasn't seeking God. He was just living in his sin. But God graciously appeared to Abraham and called him out. God called him out to leave his family, to leave his people, to leave his pagan religion. Essentially, Abraham is called to leave his entire way of life and that land that he's from, and he's called to follow God to a place that God would show him, which would be given as an inheritance to him. I want you to think about this for a moment, even as we are thinking about Abraham being called out by God. I mean, it's hard enough to leave a place that we've been living in for a long time. You know, and then to leave our family and our friends and people and then move to a new place. We all understand that to an extent if we have moved places. But in those days, going to a faraway land, away from your family and people, would have meant a dangerous thing. See, because you could be attacked or robbed, whether along the journey or when you get to this foreign place, because you've got no security system, because it was your clan and your people that was your security system. So from a human perspective, there is no security for Abraham if he leaves his family and his people and his land. And even things like your inheritance 
and portion of land perhaps that comes through the family, all that is gone if you just simply leave it and you go somewhere else. And here's the other thing, if, if that's not big enough. God told Abraham to leave everything and follow him to a land that he would give him. But Abraham had no idea where this place would be. Abraham had no idea how far he would have to travel. He didn't even know what this new place looked like. So it wasn't like he could get into his car or I guess his camel and you know, put on his GPS and, oh, I don't have an address. Well, where are you going? Well, I'm going. Where? I don't know, but God said, come with me, and I'm going with him, and God said, he will show me where. So when God called him out, Abraham obeys God immediately and without hesitation. You say, why? You know, how, how could he obey like this? He obeyed because he had faith in God. By faith, Abraham left his old life and followed God to a place where he did not know where he was going. And I would say it's so much like that for us as believers, isn't it? I mean, think about it. When the call of the gospel of Jesus Christ came to us and God called us out from our worldly sinful lives, we responded in obedient faith and started following the Lord. But here's the thing. We, we, we know our final end will be with the Lord and there's great blessings that come along with that. But here's the kicker. God hasn't told us what's going to happen between our initial responding to God and that final destination. He hasn't told us what's going to happen along this journey of faith. We don't know what our next step in this journey of faith will look like. We don't know what's awaiting every corner of this life of faith. And you know, in some ways, faith then becomes more difficult in these everyday tangible realities of life. See, because when it comes to the big things like, you know, God is a triune God, oh, we believe that. God has no beginning and end, we believe that. The second person of the triune God, he came down into the world as a man in the person of Jesus Christ. We believe that. We believe that Jesus then as a man, he died on the cross in our place to satisfy God's wrath for our sin. And he didn't remain dead. He rose up on the third day and now he's seated at the right hand interceding for us. We believe that. But then, when it comes to the everyday, tangible realities of life, faith becomes difficult. 
perhaps when you go to work and you're in this work environment where you never wanted to be in and you can't really get out at this moment because of certain circumstances, suddenly there's a crisis of faith. Or perhaps, you know, you thought by now you'd be settled down and everything would be well, but nothing could be further from the truth. And suddenly there's a crisis of faith. Or perhaps even the circumstances that you find in, find yourself in. Oh, this is not the kind of family I expected, or the kind of marriage that I expected, or the kind of kids that I expected. You know, I, I didn't expect to have so many problems in life. And yet, the, what the author is trying to help us to see is, faith still follows and obeys God. The only way we can still obey God and follow God is by faith. Otherwise, we will not persevere. See, when you look at the life of Abraham himself, he, he was not perfect. He, he had many ups and downs. But the, what the author is still trying to get is that faith ultimately results in obedience to God. So you say, but, but, but how, how, how do I live in obedience to God when it's so difficult? You know, what comes to mind is uh, what Martin Lloyd-Jones many years ago in one of his books uh, talked about. And he got that principle from the book of Psalms of speaking the truth about God and his word to yourself rather than listening to yourself. So when you find yourself in despair and all these uncertainties and all these doubts creeping in and, and everything else coming and you're just listening to your voice perhaps or just seeing things and just absorbing that rather than passively taking all that in, speak the truth about who God is and what he has said to yourself. Because that is ultimate truth. And it is only as you remember who God is and what he has said and you entrust yourself to him, can you then obey him and follow him. Otherwise, we will not persevere. So that's the first thing that we see about faith in the life of Abraham, that it looks beyond the present uncertainties of life, and it continues to look to God and his word by faith. The second thing that we see about faith is that it looks to the promised future realities. That's in verses 9 and 10. It says, By faith he, that is Abraham, went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. See, when God brought him finally out of the land of Ur and after his journeys finally brought him to the promised land, which is the land of Canaan, 
It was occupied by the Canaanites. Now think about it. You know, Abraham wouldn't have known anyone there. He would have not known any of the customs of the land. He wouldn't have known any of the languages spoken there, at least when he arrived there at the beginning. And to top it all, during his whole stay there, he never owned any of the land in Canaan except for this small burial plot that he bought finally towards the end to to bury his dear wife Sarah. So Abraham, all the days of his life, he dwelt in tents, moving from one place to another in this promised land, as did Isaac, his son, as did his grandson, Jacob. Abraham had no home, had no rights, no citizenship. Abraham always lived like an outsider, never fitting in. And it was the same for his son and his grandson. Abraham had the promise that this land would belong to him and his descendants, but he never possessed it. Now we might ask, okay, so Abraham got there, but lived in the land of Canaan as a foreigner all the days of his life, never having possession of what God promised. How could he do that? How could he continue to live like that, like an outsider, having no rights, having no protection, having nothing? Well, because Abraham lived by faith. And verse 10 specifically tells us what he was looking forward to as he entrusted himself to God. It says, verse 10, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. See, here's the thing. Abraham understood that when God said that he would give him this land of promise, it was connected to God's promise of redemption and restoration. Remember, back in the garden, Adam was the one who was given dominion over the land. But Adam rebelled against God and surrendered that dominion to the serpent, such that then the Satan is called the prince of the power of this world. And so Abraham discerned that by God promising possession of the land of Canaan to him and his descendants, somehow that is connected to God's bigger redemptive plan of reversing the curse and making a new world. That's why Abraham was able to leave his old life and live as a foreigner in a land that he didn't possess. Because he perceived that when God would give him possession of the land, it would be connected to God's plan of bringing about a new creation, which is ultimately what he looked forward to. You know, I would imagine Abraham looking at the land of Canaan with all its difficulties, and then thinking, but God has promised this land to me. And it'll be so much better when I receive it. The curse of sin and death will be gone and it will be so different. And so he understood that this 
promise of the land was connected to God's plan to ultimately restore the entire world. Specifically, the verse says, Abraham was looking forward to the city designed and built by God. Abraham believed that he would be a citizen one day of this city of God. No longer living as a foreigner, no longer living as an outsider, no longer living in temporary tents. No, this will be a city that God himself will build with with strong foundations which can never be shaken or destroyed. This would be the permanent home of Abraham, a permanent eternal home free from the weariness of living in this sin-cursed world. And I think the way Abraham lives in light of this promise, even though he lived as a foreigner and he didn't actually have possession of this promise, informs how we are to live as Christians by faith. You know, as many have stated, this is the already not yet character of the life of faith. Like Abraham, we already have the promises, but it will not be fully realized in our lifetime. So what that means is that as Christians, we recognize that we're not to get too comfortable and settle down in this unbelieving, sin-cursed world. We don't become enamored by the, the worldliness and the riches of this world. We don't get sucked into that worldly kind of lifestyle or the popularity that comes with becoming more and more worldly. We don't bank our happiness and our security on the systems of this world. We don't set our ultimate hopes on anything in this sin-cursed world. In fact, we're never to walk in step with the unbelieving world. Yes, life might be easier, maybe even more comfortable, if we just went with the flow of the world. But we need to remember that this world is not our home. There's a new city, a new world that Christ will bring one day, and that is our eternal home. A city with foundations, a city that cannot be shaken, and there all of God's people will dwell, not in dissonance, but in eternal harmony, as one commentator has stated. Oh, what a, what a wonderful rest of eternity will be. Every day of our lives living as a Christian, yeah, there's a grind against the flow of worldliness. And it can get wearisome and tired. And yet, when finally that great city of God comes down as Christ returns, as this commentator has said, we will no longer live in dissonance but in eternal harmony. So the only way a Christian can keep their eyes on this eternal city and live as a foreigner against the flow of this world and persevere is by 
There's no other magic formula. That's what these saints were doing. Without faith, without entrusting ourselves to God and his word, no one will be able to live like this, at least not in the long haul. Maybe there's someone here today who's just feeling down and discouraged because they're feeling like an outsider or a foreigner for being a Christian in whatever area of life they're seeing that in. Or maybe there's someone here who's feeling the the pull of the world. You know, it's so much more easier just to live like the world than to live distinctly as a Christian. Then I would say, talk to someone about it. Let them pray for you and encourage you from the word. Let them tell you about the hope that is found in Christ and about the new world that he's going to bring about that awaits every Christian so that this way you can continue to keep the faith and persevere. Perhaps do that over fellowship lunch this afternoon. And maybe some of you have had successes before, maybe you struggle with it and have successes. Talk to others about how you overcame that as you were reminded about God and his word and you entrusted yourself to it. Thirdly, faith looks beyond what is humanly possible. So it looks beyond present uncertainties. It looks to promise future realities. Thirdly, it looks beyond what is humanly possible. Verses 11 and 12. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, as many as the innumerable grains of the sands by the seashore. Now if you remember the story of Abraham and Sarah, Sarah was a barren woman, meaning she could not have children. So knowing this, first, you know, in the book of Genesis, we read that Abraham asked God if his servant Eliezer, who is like a son to him, will he be my heir? Will he be my son and carry on the promises? And God says, no. God says, no, Abraham, you will have a son, not an adopted son. You will actually have a blood son and he will be your heir. A few years pass, there's still no child, as Sarah is still barren. And because of her desire to have God's promise about Abraham having a son fulfilled, Sarah then persuades Abraham to sleep with her servant Hagar, and through that union, Ishmael is born. And Abraham goes to God and says, what about Ishmael, is he going to be the heir? And God says, no, Ishmael is not going to be a promised heir. You will have a son through your own wife, Sarah. Now at this point, some time has passed and Abraham is almost 100 years old. His body is totally worn out. 
He doesn't have the ability to have children now. That's how old he is. And even Sarah, who is now 90 years old, she's also beyond the age of having children. So, so think about the impossibility of this situation. Sarah is barren, which means she can't actually have children. Now, even if she could have children, she's now 90 years old and beyond the age where she can have children. And then to top it all, even Abraham is 100 years old. He's no good either. So it just seems too humanly impossible at this point. But it is at this point, God comes and says that at this old age, Abraham and Sarah, you will have a son and you will name him Isaac. Sarah first hears it and she laughs because she's thinking, what, I've been barren and beyond that, you know, I, I'm so beyond the age of even having children. This is just not possible. But in spite of her initial doubt, Sarah came to believe in God's promise just like Abraham. And by faith, Sarah received the power to conceive even though it was humanly impossible. You say, Why? As the verse says, because her faith rested on the fact that the God who made promises would be faithful to keep his promises. She rested on that fact, that God said this, so I'm going to entrust myself to him. Again, I want to remind you here that the, the point of this is not to show how great Sarah is or how great Abraham is or how great their faith is and so we can become more weary and think oh how will I ever get there and have that kind of faith no Sarah definitely had her ups and downs in her journey of faith and so did Abraham they were far from perfect the point in this verse as with all of Hebrews 11 is that these fallible people entrusted themselves to God and his word. And as they did that, they saw how faithful God was to his promises, even when it seemed humanly impossible. Abraham was as good as dead. Sarah's womb was dead, but God could do the humanly impossible because he's the God who can bring life out of death. Listen to Romans 4.17. It says, as it is written, speaking of Abraham, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Yes, the same God who spoke into existence this entire universe out of nothing. It is that same God that Abraham and Sarah believed in and believed that he would bring life out of this deadness of Sarah's barren womb. This conception of child was a supernatural work of God. And now as a result... 
From Abraham have come the nation of Israel, the physical descendants of Abraham. And then also the spiritual descendants of Abraham, who are really all believers, including us who are Christians. And we make up part of the promise that Abraham's descendants will be as innumerable as the stars in the sky. God will bring about his promised word by his power and not by human power. Now, I want us to be careful here in how we make an application here. Because the application here is not, if you struggle with having children, just have faith and God will give you a child, just like Abraham and Sarah. The application is not, if you have some medical issue, God will certainly heal you if you have faith, just like Abraham and Sarah. The application is not, any of that. It is simply this. God will keep his promises as he has already spoken, even if it seems humanly impossible. And we, his people, are simply called to trust him, to entrust ourselves to him and his word. So what does that look like for us, you might ask? So, for example, if you're a Christian and you are discouraged by sin in your life and a, see- and a seeming lack of spiritual growth, then the application would be rather than looking at your inability and your inability to change, look to God who is faithful to his promise, for he has promised that he who began a good work in you will complete that work. When we see so much of the evil and the injustice in the world go unpunished, and we think, how is any of this going to be made right? It just seems so humanly impossible. Well, I would say just look to the God who is faithful to his word and trust what he has said, that one day he will bring about his justice when Jesus returns. When as Christians we become so overwhelmed and thinking, oh, it's just impossible now for me to go on. Life is just so weary. We again look to the God who is faithful to his word, who has said, my grace is sufficient for you. And we cling to him and entrust ourselves to him this way. But then you might say, then, what about in life? I mean, there are things that happen in life, right? And we don't know what God's will is. And he hasn't specifically given us a promise with regards to that. Like issues of health and wealth and issues in the family and so so on. What are we to do? Do we just not trust God? Just leave it as it is? No, we don't not trust God to do things beyond our abilities. He is the God of the impossible. There is no issue that is impossible for God to overcome. 
So even these things, issues in life that we have that God may not specifically have a promise for, we bring it to God. Knowing that he's a God who cares, he's a God who loves us, that he's a God who will only do what is good for his children. And we trust God with that and we entrust ourselves to him. And even if God doesn't make everything all right now, we can trust that he is good and he has wise purposes in it even though we cannot see it now. Because as Christians, we know that ultimately, one day God will right every wrong and every difficulty in our life. That is the sure hope of every Christian. And we know that these things will come true because God is faithful to keep his promises, even if it seems humanly impossible. Now lastly and quickly, the last thing about faith is, so it looks beyond present uncertainties, looks to promise future realities, it looks beyond what is humanly impossible, and all the while looking to God. And lastly, this looking to God, faith looks to God and his word and perseveres till death. Faith looks to God and his word and that's how one perseveres even till death. Verses 13 through 16. It says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who thus, who speak thus, make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. So think about it, what the author is saying here. These people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they ne never really possessed the land. They simply moved around in tents and lived as a foreigner in the land. Yes, they all had children, but not according to what God had promised, not as many as the stars in the sky. And yet they died. And when they died, they didn't die as cynical people. They didn't die as people who are just crushed in disappointment because there were difficulties in their life. No, what the author says is they all died in faith. They all endured to the end even when they died. Verse 13 says that even though that they, didn't, they didn't receive the things that were promised, it says that they saw them and greeted them afar. Similar to what the author started off with, right? When you entrust yourself with God, it, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. See, they had experienced something of God's power and his faithfulness. 
such that the things hoped for have become so substantive in their life, so real in their life. The things not seen that God had promised he would do in the future, they saw it now with their spiritual eyes, even though they couldn't actually uh, possess it, so to speak. Why? Because they had experienced something of God's power and faithfulness even now. So faith had become so real, so substantive, the things hoped for had become so substantive that it impacted the way they lived their life and it impacted them even until death. And the evidence that there was a weightiness to the things hoped for and they so believed in it was the way they lived. Because the author says they lived as aliens and as foreigners, as outsiders, not living according to the values and priorities of the world around them. Why did they live like this? Because they were seeking a home in a better country and a better city that God himself had built. It's the same thing that was talked about before, about the city with foundations. This is the place that will not bear any of the pressures and difficulties and issues of living in this sin-cursed world. It'll be when the curse is removed and everything will be well. It'll be a time when heaven itself will ultimately come down on earth and Jesus will reign forever with us with peace and righteousness and there will be a joy and satisfaction that will be experienced by his people that they have never known in this incursed world. And the author's point is that if they were not seeking this better country, they would not live, they would not have lived as foreigners in the land. They would never have remained as foreigners in the land. They would have in fact seen all the difficulties as living as foreigners and they would have gone back to their old homeland. They would have gone back to the land of Ur. Said, I don't want to be a foreigner here. This is too difficult. But they didn't. They remained as foreigners because this was their hope. Now think about the original listeners that the author is writing to. Remember, he's writing to Hebrew Christians. And these Hebrew Christians were tempted to abandon following Jesus and to go back to what? Go back to their old ways. What were their old ways? Go back to Judaism. And why were they tempted to do that? Because that would have been culturally better for them. It would have been more comfortable for them just to get back that way, to their old ways. So the author's point is, look at the Old Testament saints. Yes, it was hard. It was not comfortable for them as well. They lived as foreigners. And the only reason that they persevered is not because they were human beings, but because they had faith and they continued to entrust themselves to God and his word. And so I think in summary, the application for us is this, that I want us to take. No matter how uncertain or impossible 
or difficult this life may be, the only way we are going to persevere in this world is by faith in God and his word. And as Hebrews has said, we live in this time where God has revealed himself finally and fully through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we understand so much more of his redemptive plan. We understand that this redeemer has come. He has come in the form of a man and he has died in our place and he has forgiven us of all our sins. And now he's seated at the right hand interceding for us. And we know that all the future promises that are coming, it is all connected to Christ and they're all yes and amen in Christ. And so the call is to trust in God, to cling to Christ and live expectantly for the hope that is coming when Christ returns because this is the only way we will persevere. I love the last bit here that the author says in conclusion in the verse 16. He says, therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared for them a city. I love that. I mean, for those of us who are Christians, just, just look at your own life or, and you know for a fact that there's so much of muck in your life and my life to give shame to God. And yet the wonderful thing is, here God has said, God is not ashamed to be called your God. I will be your God if you're truly trusting in Jesus. That is an amazing and wonderful thing to think through. And I would think in terms of even thinking of this hope. You know, how can that be? You might think, but you know, I'm still just such a work in progress and God is not ashamed to be my God? And I think the answer the author would probably give is because the life of faith is not about focusing on us, but it's about entrusting ourselves to God and his word and ultimately in his final word, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we simply see how great and faithful he is. This is our greatest reward that is awaiting us on the other side of glory. That is waiting for us Christians who struggle through this world to know that he will be our God for all of eternity and we will be his people and we will be under his loving care. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your work in our lives. We thank you for giving us life 
so that we can respond to you in faith. We thank you for reminding us yet once again that it is not so much the, the degree of our faith at all that helps us to persevere in this world, but it is simply entrusting ourselves to you and your word, and ultimately your word as you have revealed yourself in and through your Son. So help us to just do that, for we know that as we do that, these things hoped for and these things unseen will become more and more substantive in our lives. We'll begin to taste even more and more of something of the substance of what we are hoping for, and we'll begin to see with spiritual eyes even more and more of what is going to come. So Lord, help us, strengthen us by your word, and help us to even encourage each other through your word so that we can persevere by faith in you and your word. We ask all these things in Jesus Christ's precious name. Amen.